So we have in the New Testament, the beginning of our New Testament, we have four gospel accounts that uh, historically tell us about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them have a birth narrative about the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke, and they're both different in style and the perspective and the details that they include. But I want to share, I want to read just for a moment um, the account found for us the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. It's told from the perspective of Joseph, and there's a piece of this particular narrative found in Matthew that has kind of gripped and captivated my heart in a brand new way this Christmas season, and I want to share that with you here for a few minutes today. So I'm just going to read this over you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew recorded this for us. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And right there at the very end of that narrative, we are given the crux of the Christmas story, what we celebrate every single year, and I want to look at it together again, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew here is actually quoting the prophet Isaiah who prophesied this hundreds of years before it actually happened. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus was never literally called Emmanuel. No, oftentimes throughout the scriptures, when someone is given a name, it is meant to communicate the purpose and their work for which they came. And so here, what the prophet Isaiah was describing, what Matthew is telling us, is the purpose and the work for which Jesus came, which was this to establish the very presence of God with his people. And here what we have is what's known as the incarnation. If you've grown up in church, you've heard that. Um, It's a theological term, but it literally just means this. In flesh, the incarnation of Jesus, in flesh, God with us. God is with us. God is here in flesh flesh. And yes, it's the Christmas story and easy to brush off as just the Christmas story, but when we can wrap our minds around the miracle of the incarnation, I think you'll find it is as staggering as it is spectacular. Because the way that Jesus came into the world would be indicative of the life that he would lead, the ministry he would have, and the sacrifice that he would ultimately make for you, for me, and for the world. See, we've got to understand this about the incarnation is that 
Being a human, if you live here on earth, if you exist on planet earth, being a human is where you wanna be, okay? Being a human is, a, is an okay thing here on earth. That's a good thing. However, if you are God, becoming a human is not a promotion. No, if you're God, becoming a human is a step down and that's putting it if you are God, God the Son, no, 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 anything other than God is lower and less than. Like if you are God, anything else is beneath you. If you are God, anything else is a sacrifice. If you are God, anything else is a condescension. In fact, the incarnation, Jesus in flesh was an act of divine condescension. Now, this word condescension in our English language typically carries a negative connotation, right? Like um, uh, you're being condescending. It's a negative thing, right? We can be patronizing in our behavior or in our attitude. Um, and so you're trying to make yourself better than, make someone feel inferior. But there is another definition for the word condescension. And it's an emotionally neutral word, kind of an, a, an objective alternate definition for the word. And it's this, condescension is a voluntary descent, a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relation with an inferior. This here is the incarnation and the miracle of Christmas. Jesus, a voluntary descent in rank, a voluntary descent in dignity as he came to take on human flesh and dwell amongst us. Jesus, taking on the form of a human, is a moving down in the order of things. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Kreider, he wrote this about the incarnation. He said, Jesus is not merely a sign that God is with us. It's not just metaphorical. No, no, he actually is God with us. The God who becomes human. And he goes on to write, a higher degree of condescension cannot even be conceived because the creator of the universe has become the creature. The creator becomes the creation, a descent in rank. God the Son, by whom and through whom all things were created, who knew no limitations, took on a body full of limitations. God the Son, who was fully self-sufficient in and of himself, came and took on the form of a child, a vulnerable child. You thought about this, Jesus could have just showed up as a 30-year-old man right off the bat. Nobody would ask any questions. No, but he took on the form of a Baby, helpless, like don't romanticize this. Don't kind of take off the rough edges. He was a baby that was relying upon his mother for his very survival kind of vulnerable. Like God the son took on the form of a baby and could do nothing but wiggle his nose and make cute baby noises and cry. He needed to be changed. He needed to be fed. He needed, God the son put himself in a position to need the care a mom and a dad, so vulnerable. Think about this. Jesus literally had a first word. He had a moment where he said his first word. When you're God the Son, I don't know what your first word is. Like, amen, I don't know. <laughs> what, but he had, he had one. And Jesus, also toddler Jesus, 
He literally, he learned how to walk. Think about this. He, he did the wobbly thing and he finally had to, he pulled up on the coffee table and he did the wobbly and he fell and he finally walked. He had that moment as a child. Mary and Joseph were so confused when he was walking on the water. What? <laughs> Bath time was crazy. <laughs> In flesh, child, vulnerable. I mean, come on. Jesus, who, who felt no physical pain as in the heavenly realm, took on a body and experienced unfathomable pain, physical pain for you and for me. God, the son who knew no sin, became sin so he could experience right standing with God. Jesus, who came into the world, who set aside his divine prerogative so that he could be close. You find this throughout the gospels that the movement of Jesus was always to and toward people. The movement of Jesus was always to and toward people, to and toward the broken, to and toward the marginalized, to and toward the mess. And Christmas, don't miss this, Christmas is Jesus establishing the pattern of to and toward from the very beginning. As he took on human flesh in a way we'll never understand, he never once stopped being God, but he set aside the divine prerogative and humility came down to be close, to be with, a sacrifice in and of itself. Jesus' death on the cross was his ultimate sacrifice, but being born a child was his first being born a child and taking on human flesh was his first sacrifice. The Apostle Paul actually gives us a color commentary on the incarnation. One of his letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth, he, he puts words around the incarnation that really bring it to life for us. And, and the Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you, knew the, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. Though he was rich, now he doesn't mean materially rich, it's, it's metaphorical for, though Jesus was rich in the sense that experiencing the splendor of his heavenly existence, he became poor. In other words, he subjected himself to the lowliness of human existence. Though he was rich, though he was fully God, all on his own, up in heaven, he subjected himself to the difficulties of human existence, to the anxieties of life. He subjected himself to the evil of this world. He subjected himself to the temptations that we face. He subjected himself to the pain emotionally, physically, mentally. He subjected himself to death on a Roman cross for you and for me. Why, the Apostle Paul goes on. He did that, he, became, he was rich, he became poor, so that for this very purpose, so that you and me and the world, so that through his poverty, through his humility and his sacrifice, we might become rich. Again, not materially, but through his poverty, his condescension, we might experience the richness of his mercy, love, and grace that we might experience 
the freedom of following Jesus and living in right standing with God. He became like us so we could become like him. The movement of Jesus is always to and towards people. The movement of Jesus is always to and toward the mess. Don't miss this. Christmas. Christmas reminds us of the staggering lengths that he went to in order to be with us. He sacrificed to come close. He sacrificed to be with. And he sacrificed to save. The incarnation was an act of divine condescension. But consequently, and equally as true, the incarnation was an act of indescribable love. It was Jesus's first steps towards the cross at Calvary where he would take on the sins of the world, die in our place, be placed in a tomb, and then rise on the third day so that death and sin would no longer have grip over the hearts of humanity. For God so loved that he sent. For God so loved that he sent to and toward. For God so loved that he sent his son incarnate in flesh. For God so loved that he sent a savior. For God so loved he sent a king, Jesus Christ. Do you know this? Christ isn't Jesus's last name. It's a title. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the King of kings who came down for the sake of his people. Jesus, who was more of a king than any other king, came to interact with his people like no other king. He came in flesh to be with you and with me. Come on. What king? What king would leave his throne? What king would join his people in their mess? What king would subject himself to the limitations of his people? What king would willingly give his life for his people, let alone the very people that took his life? What king would do such a thing? Well, a different kind of king, a God king, a savior king, a king who was willing to come toward the mess, and he isn't afraid of yours, and he isn't afraid of mine. A king full of grace and truth. A king born to die, but a king that rose again. A king worthy of our praise. A king worthy of our surrender. 
a king worth following, a king worthy of it all, the king of all kings, Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. And we're so grateful that in the midst of our mess, it not deter you, if anything, it motivated you. It led to the greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever seen. So may our hearts this Christmas be reminded of the unbelievable reality that you didn't hold anything back to come close. So much so that you sent your son in flesh to dwell and to sacrifice and to be with us. May that truth encourage our hearts and anchor our souls to a hope greater than anything this season. It's in the matchless name of Jesus, who is the king above all kings, that we pray, amen.